All right, good morning, Three Circle Church. We got all of our campuses joining us right now and all those online. We're going to continue the David and Goliath series. Uh, I had someone the other day, I was in town and a person came up to me. I had not met them. They came up and they looked at me and they said, when are we going to kill the giant, man? Like, <laughs> we've been going at it for weeks. When are we going to kill the giant? Today is your day, Three Circle Church. We have arrived at the moment. Uh, in this series where the battle is going to happen. But before we do that, uh, we have celebrated all day what God is doing with our student ministry here at our church among all of our campuses. This has been an amazing weekend that we uh, are celebrating. But not only are we celebrating Uprise weekend this year, we're celebrating that this is the 10th anniversary of it. 10 years of that, of that event. And I, I think only eternity is going to be able to tell the story of the lives that have been changed over those 10 years, a decade of that event. It's the greatest student event I've ever been a part of, ever seen. But we're not only celebrating the event, we're also right now celebrating a decade of leadership from our global student leaders, TC and Megan Brown. They have done an unbelievable job. This young couple came to us 10 years, 11 years ago and began the event in their first year. And that's a shot last night of myself and all of those kids and all those teenagers from across our region praying over them. They've poured their lives for 10 years into students year after year. While they try to raise their family, they have sacrificed and poured their lives and helped us raise our families. And so today we celebrate TC and Megan Brown. And uh, if you are at one of our campuses right now, your student team there are, are able to be led by TC and Megan. So we celebrate that. So today we're going to dive into this amazing story. We're going to get to the battle now. We've, we've had the buildup. We, we've learned so much about this story that we're very, very familiar with. But the more familiar you are with a Bible passage, the slower you should walk through it so that you don't miss anything, so that you get out, all the good out of it. And that's what we've tried to do with this series. Last week, we saw that David uh, decides to take off Saul's armor that he tried to put on him. He's like, I'm not going to fight the way you fight. He goes down to a brook. He gets five smooth stones. We, we looked at the reasons that he did that. And now it's time. What you'll see about David is David doesn't waste time. He's a man of action. So yes, he prepares well. He does the proper preparation. But you know, you can over-prepare. You can prepare and never get anything done. You can become paralyzed by analyzing a situation. David refused to do that. Saul sat in his tent for 40 days. David needed like 15 minutes, all right? And it's time to go to the battle. And now we arrive. 1 Samuel 17, 40 to 44, it says, Then David, after getting those stones right, he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and he saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The answer is yes, <laughs> overwhelmingly. That's exactly what David thinks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. Okay, we see a lot going on here. For one, we see Goliath looks up. He sees a young person coming towards him. May we never be a church that despises the next generation and disdains them, but instead we reach them, we disciple them, we encourage them, and we see the greatness that God has for them. That's, what, that's the kind of church we want to be, amen? 
Goliath looks, he's like, who is this young person coming towards me? What he doesn't know is this guy's about to take him out. He has no idea what he's about to deal with. In fact, on that note, a few years ago, I got to meet, and now he's become a dear friend of mine, uh, a fascinating man, and he is the, the, the president. Now he's the president emeritus, but for a long, long time, like 40 years, he was the president of Compassion International, one of our ministry partners. So we're very careful about who we partner with. Compassion, overwhelmingly, is one of our greatest partners. They are changing the world one child at a time. And when you sponsor a child, when you partner with them through our church, that kid, my wife and I have seen it in person, up close. We hope today you'll sponsor a child if you're not. But but we watch the medical uh, happen for them. We watch the social, we watch a local church, we watch the nutrition, everything that kid needs, and they see it through. And so I got to be around West Stafford, the, the guy who built that thing for a week. And he is fascinating because he grew up in a missionary's home. He and his family moved when he was a kid uh, to a very remote village in Africa where his family poured their lives into that village. And this village uh, became his home. And the kids and children of this African village became his friends. And as his dad began to teach these kids, one thing he began to see about the kids in the village, they were a bunch of slingshot hunters. These kids used slingshots, much like David would have used. And that's how they fed their families. And, and it was recreational. They would hunt uh, with these things. They were all like incredible with slingshots. And so the day they came, they're teaching this tribe, this, this village, the Bible, the day uh, West Stafford's dad got to the part about David and Goliath, well, the kids had a very unique reaction. This group of slingshot experts in a remote village in Africa had never heard this story. And, and in fact, West Stafford was coming through our area, and I got him to come and shoot a video to tell you his story about the reaction of his friends in that village all those years ago. Check this out, West Stafford Compassion. Victory Circle, I am so excited as we're in the middle of this series about the battle between David and Goliath to have my good friend and <laughs> former uh, president and current, uh, what do you call it again, Wes? Emeritus. President Emeritus of Compassion International. Now remember, Compassion is one of our global partners. And so we only have a few global partners because we really uh, vet them. And Compassion, Wes, is one of our great partners yeah. here at Three Circle. We Thank love you, you guys and we love your ministry. Thank you for doing that. We're proud to be a part of you guys. Yeah, but what I love today, and, and our church has, has, has heard from you before, but what you may not know is that you spent a big chunk of your childhood in Africa, right? Did. And in the village. Until I was 15. And in the village, you guys had this thing that's in your hand. Tell us about what that is, Wes. This, this is what you guys have been talking about with uh, Pastor Chris all this right. time. Uh, this is a sling. Uh, just like what David used, I've had, I made this when I was 10 years old. Wow. And uh, I've had it all this time. It's a 65-year-old sling. Goodness. Still, uh, still working. But here, here's how uh, th these things ultimately work. You see this little loop, you guys? You take your trigger finger, put that through there, put something in here, the, the roundest rock you can find. You and remember? what do we have here? Uh, this, unfortunately, is just a marshmallow. For safety. For safety's okay. sake. All right. Remember, David stopped and he picked up five stones. Exactly. And really, yes. I'll tell you what, they got all kinds of reasons for that, you know, for Goliath's brothers and all that. Truth be known, no good slinger will ever pass up a good rock. He didn't need <laughs> That's one. That's ammo. And he knew that was ammo. <laughs> okay. So trigger, trigger finger through the loop, hang on to the other end. 
And, and then uh, I'm going to get back. I'm going to get back. Yeah, that's, a, that's probably a smart list. move. So this is what it looks like. This is exactly what David did, around and around and around. Now, when you get to the front, all you got to do is let go with your two fingers to keep the other finger hooked around that loop. Round, 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 pow! Wow. So that went like 300 yards, wouldn't you say? I think it was 300 yards and through the wall. I think it just went through the wall. <laughs> okay, now that's amazing, Wes. Now what I love about this, and you have demonstrated this to me so many times, but here's the thing that people not, may not realize. When you were in that village in Africa, your father, being the missionary, he was teaching these children. This was a really cool moment. Mm. He was teaching them this story that we're all in oh, yeah. about David and Goliath. And these children had never heard that story. And when he said this little boy with a sling was going against a giant with a spear and a sword, uh, an unexpected reaction <laughs> took place. What, what happened? Well, the point was being made that this is the story of only a little boy and a lot of faith. And all of us little, mar it was under a mango tree where the Sunday school lesson was going on. Right. All of us little marksmen were sitting with our slings over our shoulders. We shot a hundred shots a day. And we were thinking, no, no, no. This is a story about a stupid giant. Let a little boy with one of these lethal weapons get that close. Right. And I, I used to lie in my little cot at night thinking, I could have done that. Given the same circumstances, he described, you know, he was nine feet tall. Right. He had a forehead about the size of a dinner plate. That's a and, target. And he was just, yeah, who could miss that? So us little boys, we found a palm tree. We shinnied up to the nine-foot mark, okay. and we chiseled out what we thought was the size of his forehead. Wow. And then we, we just killed Goliath all day, all day long. And it, it got to the point where it, wow. wasn't, it wasn't fair to just stand there and do that. You, okay. had, to, you had to be running by. So then you started running and hitting it. Mingling it while you run by. Wow. Yeah. So, so what you're telling us today is we're in the middle of this series, that yeah. the way God designed this thing, we, we look at the story maybe wrongly. When David steps into that valley with that slingshot, that battle is over, right? Yeah. The giant doesn't know it. He does not He know. has no idea what's about to happen. Seriously outgunned. You know, when I was a kid, I always wondered, because David said the reason he was confident is because he had killed a bear and a lion protecting the sheep. Well, because he had a, he had a gun. He had, right? He had, he had, he had done that uh, multiple times protecting yeah. the sheep. And here's this, this is the biggest target he ever probably ever had. Unbelievable. You know, what was interesting about this, and you probably have nailed on this, but this was not just a fight between a giant and a little boy. There was an agreement between two nations. Yes. That whoever wins this, the losers become their slaves. That's right. And here's, you know, King Saul always gets the bad rap. Oh, yeah. But I'm thinking King Saul actually risked his entire kingdom, his king he did. himself. He did. Uh, because he saw something in David that yeah. he knew he could, he could trust. And sure enough, when, uh, when Goliath came a tumbling down, Philistines, Philistines ran, <laughs> you know, they didn't stand up and fight. They knew that their, wow. their nation was done. Man. So King Saul was a, like, like myself, he was a child advocate. He there believed you that you can trust a little child to do really important things. And what we would say today is that a partnership with compassion as we talk about a, a, a teenage boy, probably, maybe even younger, that took down the giant, yeah, yeah. you and, and your team at Compassion International are trying to release kid after kid after kid, child after child, from poverty in Jesus' name. Thank you, Wes, for being with us today. That's good, Chris. Love you, brother. <laughs>
Yeah. Man, it's so good to have Wes come and do that. I thought, man, no one can tell it like Wes can. So it was great to hear that. And so when we look at this first little section, we see two things that Goliath attempts, much like our enemy. As we learned from the great Charles Spurgeon uh, with his quote last week, it, it is good for us to see first that this story is about Jesus pointing us to him. But it's also good to see the secondary applications for our own lives. Our enemy approaches us much like Goliath did David. First of all, the enemy will always tempt us to fight on his terms. Goliath says, come to me. Come on, come near, right? He disdains David's youth. He doesn't see him as a worthy opponent. And then he says, okay, if we're going to fight, fight like I fight. And again, Goliath is the greatest hand-to-hand combat fighter in the world. Probably the second was Saul, but he's sitting in the tent eating granola bars. He's not fighting. And so here comes David, and David is being tempted, much like Jesus will be tempted in the wilderness. Jesus, 40 days in the wilderness, and Satan himself comes to Jesus and attempts to draw Jesus into his own playing field, into his own strategies. Three times he comes to Jesus. Hey, throw yourself off this mountain and see if God will will save you. Hey, uh, see if you can turn these rocks into bread. You're so hungry. Satan was trying to bring Jesus over to his playing field. And, And that is what the enemy will do for you. And it is time that we refuse to allow the enemy to do that in our lives. It is time that we refuse to play by the enemy's strategies. We don't do hand-to-hand combat if God tells us to use the slingshot. We need to do marriage God's way, not the way of the world. There's a very distinct contrast between the way David approaches the battle and Goliath does. Secondly, the enemy will always attempt to intimidate us and bring us into a place of fear because you don't operate good in a place of fear. Fear will make you make bad decisions. Fear will paralyze you. And that is a big part of Goliath's game. And he had won battle after battle by being the baddest looking dude around. He's huge. He is intimidating. And he also is a very articulate man. He's not dumb. And so you hear his speech he gives every day that's really well said. Well, now you see that he's a pretty good trash talker too, right? He looks at him and says, I'm going to feed you to the birds. I mean, that's intimidating. And Satan will intimidate you and he will intimidate us. We have a spiritual enemy that loves to intimidate to make you believe that the next election is going to be the thing that ends everything and that you need to be scared every single day and that we don't know what's going to happen with the economy. You don't know the next time you go to a doctor what's going to happen and you don't know. I find myself falling prey to this sometimes. I bet you do too. Instead of living the strategy of our Lord, I allow myself to get pulled in near. Goliath's wanting David to come close so he can fight him the way he knows to fight. He's tempting him. Come on, come near me. And that's what happens in our lives. Satan draws us to a place of fear, but we don't have to go there. The Bible says God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. Recently, I found myself, I was literally driving down the road and I'd seen stuff on the news and see what was going on. And I said, you know what? In my mind, I was thinking, what in the world? Because I've got kids who are now, got one graduating this year from high school and my kids are coming along and it won't be, I'm going to blink and I'm going to have some grandkids one day. And I was sitting there going, what kind of world? Is my grandkids going to grow up in? Are my grandkids going to live in? What kind of world is that going to be? And, and it was like the Lord and his truth 
came into that vehicle with me, and, and it was like I could hear God say, and I'll tell you what kind of world it's going to be. It's going to be the same world you grew up in where Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the world they're going to grow up in. But you don't have to be afraid, Chris. Your grandkids are going to grow up in a world where Jesus has defeated death, Satan, and the grave, and he will still save, and he will still change lives, and that will never, ever, ever change. In other words, stop whining about it, Chris. I'm still sitting on the throne. You're listening to the wrong voice. So Goliath attempts all of this. But what he doesn't realize is he's trash talking the best trash talker in the land. There's trash talkers and then there's David. Because Goliath, I think, is a little bit himself wondering what's going on here. He's expecting Saul to come down, and instead he's got this guy coming down with no armor and no weapon that he can see except a, a rope in his hand. He doesn't know what this is. David said to the Philistine in verse 45, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. And I'll give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword, not with spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into my hand. There's speeches and then there's David's speech. And there's a difference. There is a contrast. And by the way, there needs to be a contrast between us and the world. There needs to be a visible, discernible contrast between the way I parent and the way the world parents and the way we do marriage and the way the world does marriage and the way we handle money and the way the world handles money and go on and on and on. We are to be different for God's glory. And when we start looking like everyone else in every area of our lives, the Bible says we lose our saltiness, we lose our contrast. But David's real salty. Oh, he's salty. And he approaches this thing differently. First, Goliath's reliance clearly is on his natural weapons, his size, his spear, his cutting-edge armor. David's reliance is on supernatural power. Even though David actually has an assassin's weapon in his hand and knows how to use it. Even though Goliath's actually the one in trouble, David still does not trust even his own weaponry. He says, I'm going to do everything I can, but this is overwhelmingly where his confidence is. I know God will deliver me. The Bible says that Goliath cursed David by his gods with an S, meaning he was polytheistic like the Philistines were. He believed in lots of little gods, fake gods, false gods. David, because watch this, when you trust in false gods, you have to depend on your weapons and your strength because after all, your gods are false. When you trust in the living God, David, you don't have to trust your own weapons and your own strength anymore. You trust in his. There's the contrast. Goliath's confidence was in his ability to fight. David's confidence was in God's ability to deliver. It doesn't mean David was not confident that he had skills, but his real confidence is in the Lord. His real confidence is in God. And so now it's time for the battle. Now, I think so many times in our lives we can learn from David here. So many of us, we overanalyze. We play that game. 
where we'll say, I'm going to pray about it. If God's been clear about it, you don't have to pray about it. Let me, let me just rewind that. Let's say it again. Because you don't want to miss that. If God's been clear about it, you don't have to pray about it. For instance, you don't have to get up and go, you know, Lord, should I be a liar? No, he's already been clear about that. Lord, should I, uh, should, should I have intimate relations with someone if I'm not married? Don't need to pray about it. I'm just letting you know you don't have to pray about that. That's not a prayer thing. Like, he's already been clear about that. You don't have to pray about what God's been clear about. David knew here's the battle. So he's not going to waste any time. It's time to fight the battle. I've got my rocks. I got my sling. I've got all of this background. I got all these skills. There he is. It's time to fight. No paralysis by analysis here. 1 Samuel 17, 48 to 50. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle. You see that? David starts running towards him. This had to have, like Goliath, what is going on with this guy? But what I love is that David wastes no time. He's running to, look what it says. He runs toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. It's time to meet. I'm just going to be honest. There's times in my life I have moved too slow. I've just wait, I've, and I've used excuses like I'm praying about it. I'm waiting for the Lord to move. Yeah, you know what? Go fight. It's time. Let's go. And I love that David starts running. He can't get there fast enough. He can't get, listen, Saul had 40 days. David's like, now, now's the time. He runs towards the battle. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And just so you know, this is the Bible. The Bible goes all brave heart on us here with the details. The stone sank into his forehead. He fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no, and listen, this is a detail that just keeps popping up. And when it keeps popping up in any place in the Bible, it keeps repeating itself, you need to notice, go, hmm, why does it keep saying that? David had no sword in his hand. There it is again. Just over and over, it keeps telling you, he didn't have a sword. There's no sword in his hand. In a minute, it's going to tell you again. He had no sword in his hand. Why does that matter? Well, a few things we see here. Number one, there it is, the famous shot. We finally got there. He only used one of the stones. If the brothers come down the mountain, they're getting one too, probably. Goliath is now laying on the ground. Now, what we see here is that David's past preparation has led to victory in his present opportunity. And David did not look for this opportunity. He didn't go looking for a giant to slay. He didn't go looking for a big platform. God brought it to him. All he, all he did was remain faithful. He just kept taking care of his sheep. And when a door opened, he had walked through it and just keep being who God called him to be and keep being faithful and watch God. That is our job. When you walk with God, you can relax a little bit and trust that he is going to, he's going to lead and guide and open the right doors at the right time. You don't have to go beating down the doors. That's what he does here with David. David didn't go looking for Goliath. Goliath, the moment came to him and this moment, David had to realize, my goodness, I thought I was wasting my time all those years shooting stuff out in the woods. And now I get a chance to represent all of Israel. I know how to do this. Even if the great Saul, because Saul's probably the second best hand-to-hand -hand combat fighter in the world, but Saul would probably have been killed. Like, Goliath probably would have taken him down. And David's thinking, this is why I've been doing this all those years. For this moment, right? 
now. Have you ever had a moment where you realized God had been preparing you? Have you ever had a moment where you realized you had a toolbox that God had been building for you for that moment, preparing you, getting you ready? We all have, right? We see his faithfulness. But the Bible wants you to know he didn't have a sword in his hand. That means he didn't have what everybody thought he needed. He didn't have that. He didn't know how to use that. That, that was, God was going to do something different than everybody thought needed to be done. He didn't have a sword in his hand. And many of you today, you don't have a sword in your hand and you feel like you cannot move forward because you don't have in your hand what the world has told you you have to have to win that battle, what you have to have. I, I, had a, I have many moments in my life like that, and the only thing I know to do is share with you what God's done in my life. And so here, here's, if you know my story, my parents were really, really young when they had me. And so when most couples today are getting kind of on their economic feet a little bit, my parents were trying to just make things work. And so before you know it, you know, my, my parents were still very young when it was getting time for me to go to college. My junior and senior year of high school, I knew I was called to ministry and I was doing music and speaking and all this stuff. And it was like time to start thinking about where, where I'm going to go and some stuff was happening. And then the University of Mobile, some representatives from there came to my church and there was a connection made and all of this. And so we find ourselves at the University of Mobile. I remember my mom was with me. And they began to lay out everything. What you don't know, private, private universities like that are <clears throat> expensive. And we were in a very, we were not in an economically strong position at the time as a family. My parents, very young, and also had both changed jobs recently. It was just interesting timing how it felt like hands were tied behind the back a little bit. I can remember the weight of looking at the economics of it all. On top of that, it was a Baptist college, and I had not grown up Baptist, and there was stuff there that was kind of stopping the ability to get what I needed. And, and then I had to make this touring group, and I wouldn't know that until I actually tried out, so that was going to be the fall. And, and so we're going, I, I, you know what? I didn't have a sword in my hand. The thing that everybody said I needed, money, uh, being from that denomination at that time, all this stuff, was stacked against me. And I remember thinking as an 18-year-old, man, this is not going to happen. And to make a long story short, over the next few months, stuff started happening. And, and so what I thought was impossible, in fact, I was kind of getting myself ready. This is not going to happen. But today, if you go to my office, over by my desk in the corner, there's some frames hanging on my wall. One of those is a bachelor's degree from the University of Mobile because God provided. I'm just telling you. I don't say you clap. Well, we didn't know you were smart enough to get one of those. <laughs> It was a trying time. <laughs> we could have never afforded that as a family. I look at that thing and I go, all God. Only way that could happen is God. Couldn't happen any other way. It's a God story all the way because I didn't have a sword in my hand. And the Bible wants you to know David didn't have what everybody thought he needed to kill the giant. God had another way to do it. And many of you today, you face such odds. And I just want to encourage you today. Your God is bigger than any of the odds. Your God can do things you didn't see possible. He can pull things out of the ground when they're not even there. I'm telling you, the God that raised Jesus from the dead can handle your tomorrow. He can handle Monday morning. He can handle the doctor's appointment. I promise you, he can. Be encouraged today. So, now Goliath's on the ground. But there's an interesting detail you need to see here. There's a chance Goliath's not dead. Let's be honest. He's a big boy. He's a big dude. Now, he's on the ground. Good shot, David. But at this point, David could have been like the pro wrestlers I grew up watching. I don't know if y'all know this. I found out later in life, wrestling's fake. 
But one thing that would happen, it's like the macho man would drop somebody, boom, drop his elbow on a guy's laying in the middle of the ring. And as a kid, I'm like, he's got him. Pin him. And instead, macho man would get up. He'd look at the crowd. He'd say, ooh, yeah. And you're going, no, 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 you got him. Go pin him. He'd walk around the ring. And when he turns his back, old boy on the ground would get up. It's fake, y'all. Because he didn't finish what he started. David, though, David's different. Look what it says. Then David ran. He's knocked him down. But instead of turning around and going, are you not entertained? He didn't do that. He's got a job to finish. He ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword. He didn't have a sword. He takes Goliath's sword, drew it out of his sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that, the Philistines did not run when Goliath hit the ground. Why? Because they're like, well, he's going to get up. They ran when they saw David take off his head, and they fled. What does this mean? David was a starter and a finisher. Too many of us start, we don't finish. We start something and we go on Facebook and tell everybody we've started it. And when everybody goes, that's awesome, we go, yeah, we don't finish. We're big talkers. Big, big talkers, right? My grandfather used to say, that guy writes checks with his mouth that his actions don't cash. Not David. David knocked him to the ground, but he's like, I'm going to make sure that guy doesn't get up. I got to go finish this. So he runs and as quickly as he can pulls out Goliath's sword and ends this thing. And then he's standing there. And then he looks at everyone and says, are you not? I'm, no, he didn't say you're not entertained. <laughs> what in your life today have you started that you haven't finished? You knocked it to the ground, but you didn't finish it. You've not seen it through. You know you need to. You got started, but you didn't finish it. Well, we are not reflecting God when we don't finish. In fact, there was this church in the New Testament that was bad about this. It was the church of Corinth. And they were big on starting. They were starters. And they get so excited. And they decided one time that they were going to take up a big offering to give to the work of God. And everybody cheered them on. Oh, church of Corinth, you are praise the Lord for you guys. But they never gave it. Time went by, and Paul, the apostle Paul, had a little David in him. Got a little smack talker in him, okay? And he writes to the Corinthians, look what he says. He says, and in this matter, that offering matter, he says, I give my judgment, this benefits you. So he's like, I'm going to help you here. Who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to, de to desire. So he said, y'all started on this journey to give this offering, and you said you wanted to do it. Verse 11, so now finish doing it. Paul does not mince words. He's like, it's been a year. Finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it might be matched by you completing it out of what you have. Now, do you see the principle? Paul's like, good job wanting to do something. Good intentions are awesome. Good job getting fired up about that. Now, hey, let's try one more thing. Actually do it. That's leadership right there. That's Paul. That's in your Bible. David started the victory. What if the story would have been different and he turns around and brags while the giant gets up off the ground with a rock sticking in his head? Might have a different story on your hand. What have you started that you need to finish? 
God's a finisher, by the way. God finishes what he starts. He's never started anything that he doesn't finish. And the biggest thing he started is when he saved all of us. He will finish that. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, God is at work and he's not going to stop. And you won't make him stop. You can't make him stop. He will never stop. He will bring you to completion. He's going to work everything in your life into the process of changing you, transforming you, moving that needle in your life. And you are going to spend eternity with Christ because of the finisher, God. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. He finishes. If we're going to reflect him, we got to finish. David was simply pointing to the great finisher, Jesus who on the cross said, it is finished. I love this next part, 1 Samuel 17, 52. Then the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout, and they pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sheram as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines. They plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his own tent. (laughs) Got to love David. He's like, y'all can have the head. I want his armor. But what I love here is that David's victory immediately became Israel's victory, and Christ's victory is our victory. David does not look around and go, look at me, I'm the champion. He looks at Israel and says, Now let's go get them. I took him down, let's finish it. And they do. They run, Philistine Philistine will never be the same. They run them out of there, okay? And what I love is that Jesus on the cross wins the battle, then rises from the dead. And instead of just saying, look at what I did, he invites us into his victory. He says, my victory is your victory. We walk in victory because he won. It's our, it's, listen, I'm a big football fan, and things are probably about to change, but over the years, I've been an Alabama fan. Hate me if you want, okay, but but I'm going to be honest with you. I acted like all their great victories were my victory. I never worked out at all for them. I never took a tackle. I never caught a pass or threw one, but I would act like I had. I would say things like, we won. No, we didn't. Tua did. Mac Jones did. Jalen Hurts did. Those guys, Saban did, but not me. I had nothing to do with it. And they didn't invite me to have anything to do with it either. I wasn't invited to any ceremonies. Jesus wins the greatest victory and invites us to the ceremony. He says, my victory is your victory. My resurrection is your resurrection. My death on the cross is your victory over death and sin. That's the kind of king we have. There's never been a king like Jesus. I thought I would give you a great quote. This is, again, you know I love Spurgeon, but this is Spurgeon. And in his quote, he quotes Augustine to the great theologians of all time, and it just doesn't get much better than this. Here we go. He says, Remember that David cut off Goliath's head with his own sword. Augustine, in his comment on this passage, very well brings out the thought that the triumph of our Savior Jesus Christ is here set forth in the history of David. He, through death, destroyed him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. He, death, by dying, slew. Cut off the giant's head with his own sword. The cross that was meant to be the death of the Savior was the death of sin. The crucifixion of Jesus, which was supposed to be the victory of Satan, was the consummation of his victory over Satan. 
Lo, this day, I see in our conquering hero's hand the grisly head of the monster sin, all dripping with gouts of gore. Look at it, ye that once were under its tyranny. Look at the terrible lineaments of that hideous and gigantic tyrant. Your Lord has slain your foe. Your sins are dead. He's destroyed them. His own aim, single-handed and alone, has destroyed your gigantic enemy. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our victory. Your greatest giant, Jesus, has already taken down. In fact, the Bible tells us it's our victory. Colossians 2.13 says, And you, that's us, who were dead in your trespasses, that's us, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, watch this, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus is our great victor, and today we take part in that victory. And because of that, we can live differently. We can have confidence and hope and joy and not fear. And so with all that in mind, the question, and we said during this series, each week we want a question to grab onto, and here it is. What have you started that by the power of Jesus and the confidence in the risen one that you need to go finish? What do you need to finish What do you need to see through by the power of Jesus? What do you need to get your hands back on? What is it in your life? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your grace and power. And may we live out what you have challenged us with today in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.